Have you ever had one of those moments where you just kind of like pause and, and this, this panic rushes over you and you, you think, what, what do I do now? Like, what do I do now? What is my next step supposed to be? Uh, one of my favorite comedians is a guy named Brian Regan, and he talks about how when he was a kid, uh, he and his friends were setting up a bike ramp on the street because that's where the cars are. And uh, so they were setting up a bike ramp on the street. They put a block, they put some wood on it. And it wasn't until that first kid was like up in the air going, what do we do now? And they're like, I don't know. We didn't think that far ahead. That describes my childhood. Like maybe that describes your childhood as well. I can think of several circumstances that we got ourselves into, you know, flying down a sled. We just hit a ramp, heading right towards a tree. What do we do now? I don't know. What do we do now? You know, one kid bleeding. What do we do now? Uh, don't go tell mom. Um, <laughs> but those, those moments, we never really grow out of them. Um, we, we still continue to have those, like, what do we do now moments you graduate from high school or, or college and, you know, your, your life is like ahead of you. Many people are left going, what do I do now? Many parents are left going, so what are you going to do now? <laughs> you get into that first job and you're so excited, but, but man, if you've ever, that, that first day on a new job, doesn't matter how prepared you are. I think most of us are like, we step into that going, what do we do now? We have our first child, our second child, our third child, every single one of them makes us wonder, what do we do now? Maybe, maybe you've gone into retirement or maybe life has just kind of thrown you a curveball and it's left you with a future that wasn't like you expected. And you're thinking to yourself, what do we do now? In our text today, uh, the Apostle Paul wants to make sure that when it comes to our faith, we're not left with that lingering question. If you have a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Something uh, really cool that uh, Jim Clark, our communications director, has started doing over the last few weeks, if you use the Bible app, the, the Uversion Bible app, which is so good, uh, if you go down to, I think, the, the little hamburger on the, the bottom right-hand part of the screen, you click on that, find events, and select Sherwood Oaks. Uh, it actually has our notes up there. You can take your own notes. You can kind of follow along. You can even save anything that you take down uh, for it for later if you want to go back in and reference it. But, but in the book of, of Romans, Paul spends the first 11 chapters of this remarkable letter building out a case for the Christian faith, building a case for, for the Christian theology. He's, he has written at length about God's love and mercy and grace and tenderness and how all of that comes together for us in the person of, of Jesus just a, a few examples in, in Romans 1.16, he writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. 
Romans 3, 23 through 24, he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. We have all sinned, but we can all be saved through Jesus. Romans 5.1, a passage that I wanted to get to last week, but, but we had to, had to cut. It says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, that word justified means made just as if we have never sinned at all. We have been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. We are no longer enemies of God, separated from him. Our faith in Jesus has made us whole, has brought us into right relationship with him. Later on in verse 6 through 8, he says, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly, for people like me and, and like you. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Now, for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8, 1, our, our, our core verse from last week. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 10, 9, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For 11 chapters, Paul goes on and on and on masterfully detailing God's grace and mercy and love given to us through Jesus and why it matters. And I, and I just imagine like in my mind's eye, he gets, he gets done writing that first section and he puts his quill down and he leans back and he goes, wow, man, that is some of the best stuff I've written. And it, and it is the best stuff that Paul wrote. But then as he let his mind kind of quiet down a little bit, there was probably this little wave of panic that washed over him and he asked, but what do we do now? What do we do now? And that brings us to our text today where Paul begins to make the connection between our theology and our practice, between what we believe and how we live. Look at what he says, Romans chapter 12 starting in verse 1. Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul says, in view of God's mercy, in view of the gospel that brings salvation to all who believe, in view of the peace that we now have with God through faith in Jesus, in view of the, the gift of eternal life given to us by Jesus, in view of the new life and the freedom that we now have in Jesus. In view of all of these things, of all of the mercies that God has so graciously lavished out upon us, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. You see, it was God's mercy that moved us towards, that moved him towards us to deal with our sin. And it's God's mercy that ought to compel us to move 
towards him, to make ourselves holy and fully surrendered to him. It's living out that first part of the great commandment when Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's giving everything of ourselves back in devotion to the God who gave himself to us. And this offering is not so that we can somehow try to earn God's mercy. It's in response to his mercy and the new life that we have already received. Paul says that we are like living sacrifices. A sacrifice is something that was given to God in gratitude. And, and we've been given this new life through Jesus. And now our lives are a sacrifice of gratitude and service back to God for what he has done for us. But, but what in the world does that look like? Like, how do we, how do we do this? I heard an old preacher named Fred Craddock say once that, uh, that giving our lives to the Lord, uh, oftentimes we, we think of it like pulling out a hundred dollar bill and slapping it down on the table and saying, all right, Lord, there it is. It is all yours. I'm giving my life to, to you. But the reality is that for most of us, giving our lives to the Lord actually comes 25 and 50 cents at a time. It's sitting down with a friend who is struggling just to listen and pray with them, knowing that you don't have any words to offer, but you have your presence, and that's what really matters. It's, it's letting the neighbor kid who doesn't have a father come over and help you with a project even though it's going to take you twice as long and you're probably going to have to go back and clean up a lot of the work that he did. That's worth another 25 cents. It's calling a friend every Sunday morning that can no longer get to church, putting the phone on speakerphone to listen to the service together because she doesn't have internet. It's a true story, by the way, that happens here within Sherwood Oaks every single week giving everything of ourselves back in devotion to the God who gave himself for us is not always about these big acts of faith and devotion, and it's certainly not a one-time thing. It's done in all of those little acts of love, 25, 50 cents at a time, and it all adds up to a life that is fully surrendered, following Jesus little by little over the long haul. And when we choose to live like this, worship isn't just something that we do in here on Sunday mornings, one hour a week. It's, worship becomes the lifestyle that we live. It, it defines how we live. If worship is just one thing that we do during the week, then everything else that we do is just kind of mundane and, and ordinary. But if worship is the one thing that we do that influences everything else that we do, and it's the attitude that we take in everything else that we do, then our lives and even the little moments take on eternal significance and meaning. Working out in the morning becomes an act of worship as we steward the body that God has given us or, or as we run or, or walk the dog and we marvel at the beauty of creation and the sunrise or the sunset. Our job isn't just something that we do to earn a living. It's our mission field where we let Christ's influence work through us to love and serve others. 
We worship God with our, our work by giving our best and being honest in our, in our dealings. Driving gives us an opportunity to worship behind the wheel, not necessarily because of the music that we listen to, but in the way that we display the fruit of the Spirit to other drivers, the way that we allow love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and faithfulness and goodness and gentleness and maybe even self-control to come out while we drive. It becomes an act of worship. This is practical worship here, people. (laughs) And some days it is harder than others, but it is how we respond to God's mercy for us. We give our lives back in worship and service to the God who gave his life for us, little by little, moment by moment. In response to God's mercy in our lives, we give our bodies that have been bought the cross of Jesus Christ as a living sacrifice to God. But we also offer our will. Don't fall off. You know, that's actually, in the first service, a quarter fell off and kind of rolled around the stage. And I thought, you know, that's kind of an illustration too. That's the thing about living sacrifices, that sometimes they come off of the altar and they go and do what they're going to do. And, uh, and one of the guys is like, yeah, but sometimes it circles back around and it comes. And that's probably true for, for many of us in, in our life. We, we not only give our bodies in ourselves, but we also give our will. Look again at verse two. It's our core verse for the week. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, as we live this kind of dedicated life to Jesus, it brings about a transformed life, a life that is renewed and restored by the gospel. When his will becomes our will, when his desires become our desires, then we are no longer conformed by the patterns of this world. That, that phrase literally means to be pressed into a mold that is shaped by the values of the culture in which we live. To where we end up looking and acting and believing and behaving just like everyone else around us. But Paul says that we have been called out of this world. We are being transformed by the Holy Spirit who is renewing our minds. That, that, that Greek word transformation that he uses here is metamorpho. It's, it's where we get our word metamorphosis, which is defined as the transformation of an immature form into an adult. It's the process of a caterpillar transforming, metamorphosizing into a butterfly. Paul says that is what happens to us through the power of the Spirit living in us. And so as we live in worship and service to God, we won't be shaped by the values and actions of the culture around us. Instead, we will be completely transformed and renewed, made mature and whole through the power of the Holy Spirit. I've been thinking a lot about the practical implications of this in light of the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe versus Wade. As a follower of, of Jesus, I hold firmly that we are all made Imago Dei. We are made in the image of God. It is his image firmly impressed on us that gives our lives meaning and worth and value. And that is true for everyone, including an unborn child. And so my faith, my faith compels me to celebrate any decision that protects and honors 
life, including tighter gun laws that were also passed this week. But my faith also compels me to have compassion for those who disagree with me. As someone who is trying to offer myself as a living sacrifice to, to God, not being molded and shaped by the values of this world, but transformed by the Spirit in me, I don't want to respond to this decision the way that the world responds. I don't want to respond with emotion. Church, I, I feel like this is, this is not necessarily a time to gloat. Because what that does, if, if, if we or anyone feels like we've won, then that means that someone else lost. And, and if, as soon as we position the world that Jesus sent us out to to reach as, the, as our opponent, as the ones that we are fighting against, I think we miss the very heart and mission of God. So I want to respond with love and compassion and grace, I want to respond the way that Jesus would respond and put the person above the position that I hold. And so in times of rejoicing and in times of mourning, I want my life to reveal the fruit of the Spirit to others. Regardless of our similarities, regardless of our differences, they may hate what I believe. And that's okay. It's just another quarter that I throw onto the table of offering myself to the Lord as a living sacrifice. Living a life that is holy and fully surrendered to the Father leads to a transformed life that looks less and less like who we used to be, less and less like the culture around us, and it starts to look more and more like Jesus. And as our minds and our hearts and our wills are transformed and begin to align with the Father, not only are we able to know God's will, but we are able to do God's will, and we desire God's will above everything anything else, even if it means there's persecution that comes down on us. We're going to talk a lot more next week about how we can know God's will in our life. But let me close with this. In view of God's mercy, what do we do now? In view of the gospel that brings salvation to all who believe, in view of the peace that we have with God through Jesus, in view of the gift of eternal life given to us by Jesus, in view of the freedom and new life that we now have in Jesus, what do we do now? I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrase, paraphrases this passage in the message. It's maybe one of my favorite things uh, that's in the message, and I want to close with it today. He writes, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out, readily recognize what he wants from you, and then quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you, develops well-formed maturity in you.
May it be so of us, church. Jesus, thank you for offering yourself for us, for the new life that is available through the gospel, through your life, your death, and your resurrection. Jesus, thank you that through you we can have peace with God. Thank you that in you there is now no condemnation. Thank you for the hope of salvation that we hold on to. In view of everything that you have done for us, Jesus, may we give our lives back to you as a response to your goodness and to your grace and to your mercy. Help us, Father, to be transformed through the power of the Spirit moving and working inside of us. Lord, help us to know how to love others well, to relate to our culture in a way that builds bridges instead of burning them. Lord, help us to take every moment of our lives and give them back to you as an act of worship and surrender and use us, Lord. Use us for your plans and your purposes. Use us, God, as we walk in your will to reach more people with the good news and the hope of Jesus. Father, if there's anyone here today that is ready to make that decision and surrender, Lord, it costs so much, but it is so worth it. Give them the courage to do it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.